Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Hey, welcome back to The Coaching Show. This is Alex Taranoa. You recognize my voice and you realize that this is not Christopher McAuliffe. So Christopher today uh, knows we, well, Christopher is not here. Let's start with that. Christopher is not here because he knows a guy who knows a guy, and so he is self-quarantined. And I'm sure that is, in the world we're living in right now, that is not weird or odd. Most of us, many of us are doing that. And one of the things Christopher and I talked about was, you know, you might know somebody who knows somebody who could be, you know, could have symptoms or not symptom or be asymptomatic. And ultimately, it's a decision that everyone has to make. You know, do you go out? Do you not go out? And ultimately, you kind of have to own and be responsible for the consequences. And Christopher and his family decided that he was going to stay home. They were going to deal with it as a family. And so far, everything's fine. He doesn't, he's not sick, but, you know, he wants to be responsible for his choices. And so he asked me if I would take the lead today, which I happily would. Uh, it's weird to be in the podcast studio because we're, you know, you're in like almost like your own little bubble. There's glass walls. I'm actually not interacting with any other human. So I'm kind of quarantined to a little room. There's nobody else in the space except Adam, who's on the other side of a wall, who's all by himself over there. Uh, so it sort of feels the same, but it also is clearly very different. Um, and I want to definitely bring this into the show today. And still do a lot of the things we normally do, but also not step over what's actually really going on in the world that's impacting everyone. I know for me, it's the first time in my life I feel like every single person in the world is basically being impacted by the same thing. It's the first time I ever feel connected to everyone in the world, which is pretty crazy. Let me introduce you to our guest host. Um, actually, before we do that, I just want to hit up some of uh, the conferences that we usually give you guys info on. Um, so most of these I want to start with, please take a look online because a lot of them are up in the air. They haven't been canceled. So the uh, Conversations Amongst Masters, which is in May, is technically still on. Uh, they haven't decided yet if it's going to be canceled. ACTO is in June, also not decided on. Uh, stay on their websites, keep checking the dates, and you'll find out. But I wouldn't assume that anything is canceled until they actually say it is. And as things move and change in the world we're in, we just don't know what's going to happen with anything right now. Also, any local ICF events. Also, stay on top of those. Check in. You can visit all their local websites or the ICF website to see what events are still going on, whatnot. And those are the big, those are the big conferences that are coming up. My co-host today is Hayden Humphrey. Hayden is a success coach and a professional trainer. He's out to document and elevate the human experience. As a success coach, Hayden works one-on-one -on -one with individuals who feel stuck or unfulfilled in life to help them redefine success and create the lives they can be excited about every single day. Outside of his practice, he partners with organizations and teams to help them more effectively create, collaborate, and communicate through training workshops and speaking engagements. He's also the host of the Elevate podcast, where his authentic, vulnerable interviews with inspiring leaders, rebels, and rock stars who are out to make the world a better place. You can find out more about Hayden at HaydenHumphrey.com. Hayden, what's up? Welcome to the mm. show. Alex, thanks so much for having me, man. Sorry I'm, I'm jibber-jabbering and stumbling all over my words. <laughs> Apparently, this is the impact on me. 
<laughs> yeah, all good. All good, man. I was, um, you know, so interesting when you were introing the show, talking about the state of affairs, I was sitting here listening and I was like, this almost feels surreal. Like there's, I think this is the first time that it's hit me in this moment where I'm like, this is, this is real. Like this is actually happening. Um, just a really interesting experience. Yeah. What's what you're in Chicago. What's it like there? Yeah. So I think Chicago is, uh, behind, I mean, obviously behind New York and San Francisco, which just, uh, ordered a shelter in place, um, order recently. Uh, but Illinois just shut down their bars and restaurants on Sunday. And I am fairly confident that that's going to be followed by, um, all non-essential businesses here in the next couple of days. Um, people are still out like operating as normal. Um, I saw some people taking public transit, a lot of people walking around. Um, but, uh, but I think probably in the next like two to three days, it's, it's going to get, um, you know, uh, a bit weirder. Um, but for me personally, you know, it was interesting. Uh, I work from home the majority of the time and I don't go out that much anyways. <laughs> so it was like not a, not a huge disruption to, to my daily routine outside of like not being able to go to the gym. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just been a process of figuring out who needs support and you know, how I can continue to, um, support and help people, um, who might be transitioning or going through tougher times. What has been the biggest impact for you? Like, how has this impacted your your life or your business? So I haven't seen a ton of impact in my business just yet. Um, I imagine in the next couple of weeks, I'll start to have those conversations. Um, but I think, the, I think the biggest impact for me has been a more like visceral, physical reaction that I've had to everything. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of work in the last couple of years with coaching and, you know, the personal development work that I'm doing to get more in touch with how I take care of myself and how I need to take care of myself. And so I think the biggest change for me has just been this overall sense of wanting to slow down and get really quiet and not distract myself. Like I deleted social media pretty much off my phone. I deleted Reddit off my phone. Um, just like a call to be still and to be with everything that's coming up for me, um, which I think is going to serve me well, like regardless of what ends up happening, I think there's an opportunity in all of this to really get clear on how we need to take care of ourselves and, um, what that all means to us. Yeah. I, um, I'm really curious as we introduce and bring on our guest, some things that he sees. Cause the one mm. thing that I'm like you, like I don't, it hasn't impacted me directly. Like it's weird. It feels weird. Emotionally it's weird. I find myself having like different interactions with people I love because we're all operating on top of like, it's like almost like the there's like a mist and we're right. all operating on top of it and there's nothing we can do. It just is. Mm. Um, and so interactions are going differently. People are testier, more sensitive, things like that. Yeah. Have you noticed a difference in your with your clients or in your business? Like, have you noticed an impact there? Yeah, definitely. Um, some of my clients, like, there's just worry, concern. A lot of them are like glass half full kind of people. Hey, let's. What are the opportunities? <laughs> yeah. Let's look for what we can do in this. And I'm kind of like that. You right. Know, I created a new program this week. I'm I'm working on things that yes. I normally would be like, I don't have time for. Well, now I got time for everything. Right. Um, <laughs> and so there, so there is that, and but then I had a client who was very sensitive to everything, and it was really hard. We we all basically couldn't even have a coaching session, um, mm. which was is fine, also, right? Like to to mm -hmm. everyone's in a different spot. But I noticed that the thing that I got aware of really quickly is, you know, I have the means to run out and grab the things that I need. 
and the things, right. that, and more so the things that I might need. And yeah. I realized at the end of last week that there's people that don't actually have the means to go out and get the things, not only that they need, but that they might need. Right. And that just, we don't, you don't know what that must be like until you're in that space, right? Like to think about like, you don't have money, you don't have a credit card, you can't just go get things, right? That you, you might need soap or toilet paper or food for two weeks and you can't go get it because you don't have any money coming in yet. And now you might not have any money coming in at all. And that just, that just had me, that just opened up a lot of compassion. I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. And that's a lot. Yeah. It's like, then the call forward is how to support folks in that position. That's what I'm, you know, that's the place that I'm in. And, you know, you and I had, had also talked about some of the um, services that you were offering people um, just in terms of like getting supported, even, you know, even if they can't afford it or, you know, if money's an issue. Um, And I think that's the, you know, the, the, the call forward for all coaches is, what's the, what's the way to serve? What's the way to support? You know, if it's not going out and grabbing stuff for people, like how can we, you know, support people over the phone or with coaching or with donations or whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, I want to, I really want to get our, our guest take on this and hear not just about his, what, what he sees for this, but also everything else he's up to. He's a pretty impressive human. Um, so let me, let me introduce him. Um, our guest today is Dr. Anindya Kundu. He's a sociologist who studies contexts that allow youth and young adults to thrive. His book, The Power of Student Agency, is forthcoming this summer through the Teachers College Press. He received his PhD in sociology of education at NYU, and he was mentored by world-renowned scholars Pedro Nogueira and Angela Duckworth. He taught courses at NYU, including America Dilemmas, Race, Inequality, and the Promise of Public Education, and Research in Urban Education. He's also received New York, uh, NYU's Outstanding Teaching Award, and he's been featured on NPR Education, MSNBC, and he's given two official TED Talks that have more than a million views. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to verbally be here. Where are you in? Uh, where are you right now in the world? I am in my, uh, I guess it's relevant, two bedroom apartment in Washington Heights, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. How? What's the experience like for you? I mean, you were listening as we were kind of sharing. I'd love to hear what's going on for you. Yeah, no, like other than just navigating my own realities of. Uh, sharing this enclosed space with my wife, uh, which has been, you know, seven days, our, our relationship is definitely uh, evolving in new ways. And our own trials and tribulations of just, you know, trying to stay active and keep our mental health. Um, everything you guys are talking about is also very much on our minds about, you know, some of the more vulnerable populations in New York, um, because, you know, those are people who we see every day. We take the train with them every day, but their realities in this situation is drastically different than our own. Hmm. I'd be curious too, in New York, it seems like it's one of the harder hit cities. Like generally what's the vibe? What are the things that you're noticing? Like how has life changed? Yeah. New York is a, is a city where social distancing is not a thing. Everyone <laughs> is, uh, so used to, uh, brushing shoulders and 
grabbing a drink or getting takeout or sitting at a restaurant. And so that has shut down for like, you know, not necessarily on the policy side, but by, by practice for a week. And so mm -hmm. service is taking a drastic hit. And so much of our economy runs on service yeah. that uh, I'm not really sure how those people who kind of live more paycheck to paycheck are making it work. They don't have the luxury of not going into work, even though there's no one necessarily coming in. Um, so they're also on the trains a lot more. They're just so much more likely to be exposed. Um, and the rest of us, uh, as you guys mentioned, have the luxury of kind of staying in, making sure we're stocked up for a few weeks, um, not necessarily worrying about uh, what our kids are going to be up to, how they're going to be spending their time. And so uh, those are the realities that are just very different in this situation. What about the, the, I was discussing like the relationship that, you know, my relationships are like operating on top of things. How about with you and your wife? Is there an impact? Like just, you guys probably aren't usually locked in a box together 24 seven. I mean, it's, you know, well, well we're having uh, new and interesting conversations. We have to cook each meal. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'm typically the cook, so I'll, I'll nurture for her. But when she made two meals in a row, I was like, wow, this is impressive. <laughs> You know, we're, we're learning new things about each other. Uh, we will go on on runs together. Uh, I think we're still able and allowed to do that. Um, so, you know, uh, and and the other interesting thing is, is that it feels like it's 20 years ago where like mm -hmm. my friends who, who I just have texting relationships with or an Instagram group chat, we're actually calling each other and FaceTiming each other. Uh, a couple of my more single friends have had to admit that they've actually had to start to get to know the women that they're dating. <laughs> having longer extended conversations with them. So, you know, though we're not necessarily physically as close to one another, I think people are actually getting to a deeper level. And so those are some of the silver linings that I mm. think cool as, as a sociologist about this whole thing. Do you see anything, like anything that you, is there any, I don't know how even how to ask this, but I'm, I'm trying to see, is there anything that you've been like, the work you've been doing with young people, you know, in sociology, race, inequality, through your TED Talks, that you feel like you were, that this was predictable, not not that the virus was predictable, but as human beings, how we react and how we behave, that you're not shocked, or maybe you are? So that that's a pretty uh, loaded question. I think, I think so much of this was more preventable than it has become. Mm -hmm. But what, what, we also realize is that there are always patterns when there are these moments that really test us as a society. And what ends up happening is that a lot of the time, uh, populations on the lower end of the income distribution take the brunt of uh, the suffering related to this. So for instance, those are the people who have lower access to healthcare. Uh, in the New York City school system, there are about 100,000 homeless youth, uh, which means that they don't have housing stability, be living between one or two adults' houses, or in drastic situations, they don't even have a roof over their heads. And so if we're also thinking about who's likely to get more exposed, it's also those, those kinds of populations of kids. Um, my wife works with um, youth who are at risk for incarceration, um, an alternative to incarceration program. And this week they really struggled with whether or not they could postpone their programming because what else are these kids going to be doing without school? You know, there's a good chance that they will 
mm. participate in less positive activities with lower supervision when mm. the program has a 99% recidivism rate. So it's like, should we stay open? What should we prioritize? Um, how can we prioritize health, but also a holistic well-being? Um, and so, you know, those things are always conflated. Uh, I think, you know, if if we had a better access to testing, it should be going to those lower income areas where people are going to be in the service industry or working at a grocery store frontline where they're going to be interacting with hundreds and thousands of people a day and are probably likely to, to come down with this first. Mm. Do you, because your expertise is on, you know, obtain, like essentially so how success is created through, you know, not just grit and hard work, but how social and cultural support people to obtain success and create their goals. How do we navigate? Like, this is just your opinion, right? Like you don't, I mean, I know that you, none of us have been through this before, but how do you see an opportunity here for the work that you've been doing to really have a shift in a, in a time of really big change right now? Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of my work, involves around the social and cultural supports that help students who are most vulnerable um, kind of develop the academic and professional mindsets that they will need to succeed in, in this world. And obviously a large part of that is social interaction. Uh, school is perhaps more important for vulnerable youth than you know, middle class or upper, upper middle class youth who have access to after-school programming or parents who are making them do tutoring. Uh, school is really important for vulnerable youth who need it as a safe place, uh, who need it as a place to get at, uh, their meals for the day and interact with hopefully adults who are gonna be beneficial to them. And so that's the biggest challenge right now is thinking about how can we still provide those kids with the kinds of uh, real human influences that they will need, especially if their parents are you know, still having to go out for their jobs and, and make money where they can. And so, uh, you know, I, I think distance learning is really great for the schools that are, have been able to go online, but that also implies that students need the technology to be able to log in and, and interact with their, with their teachers. So, you know, simpler things where if, you know, I have a teacher who, I have a friend who's a teacher in Queens and he has obviously all of his uh, students' parents' phone numbers. And so, by association, he has access to his students. And so, you know, checking in on them once a week, little things like that, I think will go really long. Because the main thing about a, a kid, like something almost around 18, like I study basically um, people who are just about to become 18 all the way to like 32, is that we're constantly thinking about um, ways in which we can see ourselves differently. And we tend to do that with by picturing those people around us and it, like, you know, thinking of our, ourselves and our teacher's shoes. So the more people are able to interact with each other, the better they'll have an opportunity to think about the different pathways their own life can take. And so students, you know, how, I don't know how, about how social distancing is going to impact this, but they really need as much positive adult interaction as they can get. Absolutely. The uh, bunch of stuff I want to touch on and what you just shared, but I think the, the main thing that I hear is it's almost like how do you <clears throat> start to change the system from the outside and the inside, the inside being the 
personal development, inner mindset work, you know, Angela Duckworth, grit, hard work, focus, having access to possibility. And then the outside piece, how do we actually start to change and shift the systemic nature uh, and the, the structure of it to support kids in actually creating the things that they want to create? Um, I'd be curious for you, you know, the interest in youth development and, you know, supporting youth in this way, like where did that interest start for you? Yeah, so I've always loved kids and interacting with young people, I think, is one of the more fun things uh, in life. And I've always had like a little bit of a, like an interest towards what we would call, I guess, uh, social justice. And those two things really kind of um, culminated together, I would say, in my first job after uh, college. Um, I had written a paper about gun violence in Chicago public schools and ways in which we might think about mitigating that by interviewing police officers, teachers, and other stakeholders in Chicago. And that led me to get to work for two professors at the University of Chicago Crime Lab who were doing a study on recidivism rates at the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center. So the uh, JTDC, which is the largest uh, juvenile detention center in the country, and it was this randomized um, experiment where based on a student's birthday, birthday they would either get uh, this cognitive behavioral training, uh, which was like, you know, helping them think about consequential thinking, um, you know, conflict mitigation, whether or not they wouldn't get that training. And, you know, it's not too surprising, but what they found over the longitudinal study is that st the kids who were assigned the CBT training, they, uh, their recidivism rates dropped drastically they were much easier to come back to the facility so in the world all of the all of those uh, young people uh, detained at the facility would have had access uh, not because of a research project but to some kind of uh, behavioral uh, holistic training and educational model and so those were the kinds of things that brought me to want to study education as, as more of a preventative vehicle to put kids on the right path and that's kind of what brought me to new york and uh, I spent a little bit of time working at the Department of Education, um, which, you know, was very political and bureaucratic. And that also led me to want to study these things from a more of a researcher uh, point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The um, I, I love the education piece, too, like actually looking at uh, systemic like what are the systemic patterns that you're seeing and how can we actually start to implement solutions to change it at the core versus addressing symptoms or addressing outcomes? Um, so, you know, I'd be curious from like an individual perspective because um, I think one thing that comes up for me is thinking about how potentially large the issue is, like how, how deep rooted and foundational the educational system is. So, you know, if you were talking to an individual, like what can we as individuals do to actually impact uh, and make a difference in the social and cultural supports that make an impact in education and actually allow these youths to be successful? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question, and I, I think I'll I'll piggyback off of what if you what you said is that uh, there are large structural factors at play here, but there there are also room there's room for possibility for for change uh, within that, and so. That's kind of why I study uh, student agency. So, you know, a definition of agency is that it's um, being able to take an active and intentional role in, in making choices that help to shape uh, the course of your life in a positive direction. And so, what I have what I, what I have to say about agency is that it's it's all about social context. 
Um, you know, an undocumented student, for instance, can work their butt off, uh, be a valedictorian through high school, but then when it comes to applying for college, there's a real structural barrier there of uh, not necessarily being able to apply for aid or even apply to certain schools because of their status. And so that's a structural issue. So, And so what's interesting about agency is agency is about um, even though there is that barrier of entry to college, what are the workarounds for the people that I can potentially reach out to for help and develop a social network? Um, where are the kinds of cultural supports that I can turn to people who have um, kind of been in this kind of circumstance before who have maybe taken an associate's degree to college and that opened up a path to a bachelor's degree. So that's the reason that I, I study human agency. And I think there's no better place uh, to promote agency than in schools. So the, 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 the problem I will say is that the current way in which our education system is structured is that um, given the way that local taxes, you know, fund uh, the public schools around them and the kids who go there, um, the current public education system furthers inequalities. But if we, if we know that, then we can start thinking about what the workarounds are. How do we get veteran teachers into the schools in which they're most needed? How do we get um, teacher training pipelines into the schools in which they're most needed? How do we get community organizations uh, like after school programs and uh, potential organizations that can offer students internships? How do we get them to partner with schools and not make it just about the physical school building? So even though we have this kind of uh, large structural um, kind of issue that underlies all, all things education, there are ways in which we can kind of expand the pathway and make it a little bit more community oriented um, that allows everyone to kind of play a part. Um, I, you know, from a personal standpoint, I think if there's anything you can do to, to interact with young people, uh, that's going to help. So spending time with young people, um, sharing your own experiences with young people who might need it, volunteering uh, with various groups, that, that is really a way to make, make change on the ground level. I'm I'm listening to you you know the the questions that you guys were just looking at and the thing that kept coming up for me is and I heard this actually in one of your TED talks you were talking about our students being our most precious resource but it doesn't it doesn't like occur that way right if if students were if students were in one of your TED talks you talk about if we treated students like diamonds and gold and and we don't we don't treat education like that we it's it's very dismissed it's very put on the side and you're you have these ideas to have it go very differently yeah um you know i was just thinking related to the crazy crisis we're in right now is that if we think about students as being intellectual capital uh we don't know where that next student is that could come up with the vaccine for the coronavirus in 15 years maybe they're a student in the south bronx maybe they're a student in West philadelphia maybe they're a student in oakland and the only way we can give ourselves a shot at helping that student reach their potential is treating education like a collective responsibility mm -hmm. is making sure that students in high school have access to internships uh, mentors who can make themselves see themselves in a different light, um, you know, taking a student who might be interested in being a basketball player or a rap artist, but also showing them that, hey, like, you're an analytical thinker, you know how to 
come up with a problem and you know how to come up with a way in which to answer the questions. And so maybe science is a path for you. So those are the things that, you know, I'm constantly thinking about is how do we get students to reframe their basic concepts of themselves and keep open uh, the realm of possibility for what they could eventually do in life. It also it makes me, well, you just said that analytical side of the science makes me think about, you know, it became somewhere in some communities, it became like a good idea or cool to dive into like the tech world because you could make a lot of money. Yeah. But what I, what I don't, haven't seen yet is that idea that of opening that up, that doesn't seem to exist in, at, with at-risk communities. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the, and it, it's kind of like the, the home run or nothing, right? Like the, the idea to be possibly an athlete or, or something like that, which is a way out, but not like, Hey, there's actually a lot of ways out. Now they're at the disadvantage because they don't necessarily have the education or the resources. Is there a way, I mean, is there a way to like kind of turn the attitude that it's like, Hey, these are actually, um, I don't want to call it cool avenues, but avenues that are, um, could be exciting and possible and could also do it. So you don't just have one option. You actually have many options through right. education. Yeah. Definitely. I have a, I have a story that plays right into this. So in my, in my research, I've interviewed, you know, hundreds of educators, students, and, and various professionals in education. And one of the student interviews that uh, is this person I profile in my book, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about his story. And I think that it, the story really shows that, if you open up an opportunity for a student, they'll come up with the different avenues that they could go. But sometimes it just starts with that first opportunity. So uh, this was a guy, he, uh, you know, I, I protect my participants' identity by using aliases for them. Mm-hmm. And so he goes by Jay Stud, and he came <laughs> up with that himself. Like, I didn't give him that alias. Um, it's actually his uh, rap name that he still goes by in Moonlights as a rap rapper under the name of the stud. And uh, similar to a lot of the issues that we were talking about earlier, structural issues, up until 10th grade, Jay Studd, he grew up in Jamaica, Queens. He's a young black man. Uh, He was tracked into special education. And we know uh, as researchers and educational professionals that uh, special education is is a disproportionality issue in New York, just who gets tracked into SPED, um, because we're not necessarily locating those various forms of hidden giftedness that they might exhibit that we might be looking for in other uh, higher class children. And so Jay Studd was drafting the special ed up until 10th grade. Uh, he would sit in the back of his class. He would scribble furiously in a notebook all day. Um, and finally, his English teacher was like, Jay Studd, you sit in my class all day long scribbling in this notebook. Can I see it? And so he showed her, and he, she saw that it was full of rap, rap lyrics, page to page of rap, rap lyrics. It's pretty hard to say. Uh, of <laughs> rap lyrics that were actually very, very talented. You know, there might be some punctuation and grammar errors, but there was, uh, you know, alliteration, metaphors, allegory, all these things that he had been trying to get through to him was apparent in his, um, his book of prose. And so she took this to give him a simple opportunity that that she had access to. She told him, listen, if you come to class and you do your homework, one of my best friends actually works at a recording studio. I'll let you go in there and record a couple of songs um, and maybe you can make a CD. And so he he worked that full year 
she she stayed up to the promise. She introduced him to her friend, and he recorded this a CD. Um, he performed a couple songs in front of his classmates, and they gave him a standing ovation, which he says to this day is still like the most formative memory of high school is that standing ovation. And so I'll just give you another 30 seconds to show how that one experience changed the trajectory of his whole life. So the, in the recording studio, he met a bunch of adults there and quickly realized that he thought it was fascinating how they were doing the accounting and finance to make the place run. Um, and so in his interactions with kind of the, the financial manager, um, he was able to find himself a way to spend productive summer hours there uh, and make a little bit of cash by helping them do a little bookkeeping. Uh, eventually, this set off a chain of events where he started interning there every summer. He got an associate's degree in finance and management. Um, he did another internship because at this point, he was learning how to get internships uh, at Lehman Brothers before they went under in their banking division. Um, and then uh, during college, he started uh, interning at one of the largest investment banks in New York, uh, was able to have his college fully paid off. And uh, today he's a managing director at that said bank. Um, so all of this, I think, is just from that kind of first ripple effect. Um, but then he kind of charted the whole course of his own life after that. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McCullough brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcCullough.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcCullough.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McCulloch is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McCulloch, Master Certified Coach. Mm, that's incredible. Thanks for sharing that story. Uh, like I really hear in that the power and possibility in having students like actually just have more direct access to things that they wouldn't normally have access to different people, different mentors, you know, teachers being able to come in and give those kinds of opportunities or connect them to resources that they wouldn't by themselves, you necessarily have found or be able to access. Um, and, you know, I'd actually be curious with the, the, with what, everything that's going on right now, you know, who knows what the exact impact is going to be, but I would imagine that a part of it is going to be more of a shift in focus on online learning and e-learning and having students maybe not necessarily come into the classroom or be in person or like physically be in the space. And I'd be curious, like what you, 
like what the impact might be there with students being able to connect with teachers in that way, being able to connect with different mentors in that way, if the, the model of education shifts towards something that's more online or, you know, more distance learning? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And I, I ask myself similar things all the time. I think if we get a couple of fundamental things right about education, it could be done online or in person, ideally a combination of both. And that's the way it looks like we're going in the modern world and uh, may have to go to, to stay safe and, and germ free. And so a couple of those, those pillars that I would say um, of education are uh, two concepts that I think fit under this idea of personalized learning. And this, this works in education, but it also works in, in real life as you're thinking about what goals you have and what you want to accomplish. And, and personalized learning, um, it's, a new, it's kind of a buzzword in education, but to me what it means is that students are, one, effectively challenged at the rate at which they need to be challenged. So in a traditional classroom with like 20-some students, it's kind of hard to cater to each student's um, kind of level of the, that they're at. If someone's picked up a certain task or competency, how do we make sure that we have the next next activity ready for them to go and so we're not waiting for students who might need a little bit more time? So that challenge base is uh, one factor of personalized learning that I think really does benefit from technology. There's too many great um, apps and programs out there that kind of allow students to set the pace of their own learning. Mm -hmm. um, the second part of personalized learning that I do think is more human-centric, and this is where the adults come in, this is probably benefits from being in person, is the interest piece. Is that, you know, students are like sponges, uh, willing, ready to soak up any stimulus that's given to them, and then they can kind of take that and go somewhere with it. And so the interest piece is like noticing what a student's interest is, but then being able to kind of help them pivot in a direction that's gonna be positive to them, just like Jay Studd's uh, English teacher was able to see his interest in rap, but then connect it to literacy and broader uh, ability to like kind of, you know, um, showcase his skills through like a recording studio where he met a lot of adults. So as long as students are, are both challenged and their interests are appreciated, and again, I think this does happen in like wonderful public schools, like the ones I had the fortune of going to. But if we can offer that to all students, those two simple things, I think, you know, we'll tap into a lot more of our students' potential. Yeah, I love the piece that you shared around the uh, having a more customized curriculum. And I think about my own educational experience, I was pretty lucky in that I had a pretty flexible curriculum in high school and in college. Um, and, you know, I think about the work that I've done afterwards to, you know, now put myself in a position where I love the work that I'm doing. I feel so lucky to be able to be a coach and to be able to impact people in this way, but it also took a lot of trying things out <laughs> and realizing that they weren't for me and then switching and doing something else. So just the power in supporting students and coming to realize more quickly and sooner what they're interested in, you know, over the long term, the impact that that can have on them. Um, and so I wanted to shift gears a little bit. I know you talked a bit earlier about student agency, and I wanted to ask you about the book that you have coming out um, this summer, The the Power of Student Agency. Um, if you could just speak to, you know, at a high level, what, what the book is about and like, what you hope the impact of it is. Yeah, so um, in the book, I profile 50 students similar to Jay Studd. He's one of them. And so these are students who uh, have come from the lowest income levels and are students of color in New York. And what that means is that often they have a lot of associated 
uh, for lack of a better word, risk factors. I like to call them potential factors. Um, you know, so my sample of students, they've, they've been homeless. They have uh, dealt with violent and sexual trauma in their lives. They have come from broken families, uh, personally dealt with substance abuse, or have had parents who've, who've had to deal with substance abuse, um, had run-ins with the law. So a bunch of different uh, challenges, but the one commonality in, in the sample is that they are all academically and professionally very successful today. And so it's kind of trying to flip the narrative of not those kids by being like, no, this small sample of students were able to kind of reach their full potential and this is how. And the this is how story is, is that I elaborate on this idea that Angela Duckworth has put out there into the world about grit, like perseverance and dedication towards long-term goals is really what helps people achieve great things. Um, by taking a sociological lens to grit by being like, there were a lot of challenges that these students faced. And so it also required social factors for them to then tap into their grit. And those social factors are kind of what I um, allude to when I talk about agency. So what I like to say about this group of students is that they're truly exceptional, but they're not exceptions. They're, they're not exceptions to any rule because um, if we think of them as exceptions, we're starting to absolve ourselves of the responsibilities to make educational systems better for everyone. So if the basic point is that, that I hope to make is that through the success of this, this population, we can understand that it's possible for all of our students if we just try to put in the kinds of efforts and support systems that Jay Studd's teacher was able to do for him. And it doesn't always have to be teachers. It could be other adults or peers or mentors in the lives of young people. Who are you really hoping this book will touch? Like, who are the, the readers that you would love to get the, for this book to have an impact on? Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a really awesome question. And I'm smiling because it's the hardest group to get. It's the group <laughs> that doesn't necessarily think there's a problem because... Mm -hmm status quo doesn't really hurt them. So, you know, I would love someone who isn't that necessarily interested in education uh, to pick up my book and, and really fall in love with the stories I present to them. And uh, hopefully they realize that this education system that we have doesn't have to be based on winners and losers. Like I know that teachers are going to be interested in my book because I already interact with a large community of teachers who are hoping to use like the tools and tips of promoting agency that I have set set in the book for their students or for themselves. Um, I think parents are going to be interested in it because there's a chapter about ways in which the family unit, no matter what it looks like, can benefit students in academic and professional mentalities. But I really want the, the person who doesn't realize that we have a, a really class and race-based educational problem in this country to pick it up because that's the person I'm trying to convince um, that we do have that problem. And I think if we can kind of have that kind of dialogue, that at the end of the day is what shapes policy. You know, um, research doesn't impact policy as much as politics does. But as a researcher, I really hope that, um, you know, we can expand this conversation a little bit more so that people kind of think about other policies that might be effective. I, I'm curious about another, and I don't, I don't know that please speak to this as freely as you can. I'm just, it got me thinking as I was listening to who you would want to read it. The people that I think like, I think you and, or me and Hayden 
are like right on board with you. Like we see what you're talking about. We agree with you. We like want, we're like, this is, we want, we see the, the opportunity. We see the possibility of the change, like a world in which men, women, people of any race, gender, color have equal or, you know, opened up possibilities is a actual better world. There's m so much more available for all of us. And the, I think, is it cognitive dissonance? The, I, I don't know if I'm using the right, the idea that like when, you know, we, when we look at things, we already have decided and then we make them fit into our model or they don't. Mm -hmm. So like, if I don't already agree with this, with what you're saying, then I can't actually see it or hear it. Right. How do, and so it makes me, as I was listening to you, I'm like, man, the people that I, I want to hear some of this and to hear you give your TED Talks and to hear you speak are often the people that are not actually open to this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really just as simple as, as what you said, is thinking that if we had a stronger educational system, then we would have in the future a stronger economy. We would be likelier to have less social problems like mass incarceration, which is a social suck on our economy also. Um, you know, whether or not you choose to believe in it, we would likely be in a better position to tackle uh, climate change. Um, things like social security, which seem to be dwindling for our, our retirees would likely be stronger too, because we have more people who are contributing in the workforce. Um, and also it's like a cycle, like those people are also making the educational system stronger too. And so I think capitalism is literally the best place for this to happen, where we can actually create a system for all of us to thrive under. But the problem is, is that it's all predicated on thinking that there's scarce resources and only some people can have access to them because otherwise, like we, there's, there's only a, a one piece, there's only one size pie but yeah, i don't think it works that way you know in my ted talks i talk about how if we were able to lower the achievement gap our gdp would be up by like 600 billion dollars and that's something that benefits everybody um we wouldn't have necessarily so many people living paycheck to paycheck because they would have a family sustaining life a family sustaining income if you will and so you know it's it's really kind of like a simple way of reframing um the the importance of education and, and why is it that we have a public education system that allows access for uh, students who are undocumented and homeless? Well, if we really think about it, it should be so that they can um, live up to their, their potential. Um, it shouldn't be just so that the same system kind of recreates itself over and over. Mm. There's a, an organization that I'm, you're probably familiar with called Year Up, uh, and the idea is connecting students who wouldn't necessarily have access to um, internships and job opportunities, um, providing them access to those things, and then providing training. And I was at a graduation ceremony uh, maybe three or four years ago, and the gentleman that was leading the ceremony um, shared this quote about how you know talent is uh, spread equally, but opportunity is not. And so I love that piece around how do we actually you know provide these students opportunity to close the gap and create these experiences for themselves, create these careers for themselves, create these lives for themselves. Um, and one thing that came up um, in what you were sharing earlier and in Alex's question too was like, how do we reach the people that need to hear this in a way that they can hear it and digest it and then take action on it? And I love the idea of telling stories 
like the 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 story that you shared earlier about the young gentleman and the rapping and how he, you know, now works for this incredible financial institution. Um, I love it because, you know, even though it's a different experience of life than, than what I went through, I can still connect to it on a human level. And it sounds like that's probably, or that sounds like that's what your book is as well is like a collection of stories and research. And I think that's so great because it helps people see themselves in those things. So I was just curious if you had any other stories you could share with us around, um, like the importance of closing this gap and maybe the difference that even like a small um, gesture or action uh, can make in supporting a student in going out and achieving what they're capable of. Yeah, no, uh, totally. Um, one of the things that uh, I keep thinking about is that it doesn't only have to take place in schools and um, it can take place anywhere where there are human interactions because teaching and learning is fundamentally a, a social activity and so I actually have a, a quote on my uh, office office here that I'll, I'll read to you and then I'll tell you the story of this young man and so he says they say you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink but it's scarier when you lead a horse to water and they say what water I was the horse who didn't see the ocean in front of me. It's not a conscious decision. I was just ignorant that what was in front of me was water. And so when mm -hmm. we talk about changes we want to make to a system, it's with our understanding that these are good changes, but that might not be how it's interpreted. In every story, we have to understand that the person might not understand that they're looking at water in the first place. And the person who said that, he, his name's Tyreek, and Tyreek is a is a vice president in a or large organization that is uh, on the front lines trying to better mass incarceration policy, kind of trying to um, you know, uh, reduce the prison population and close some of these bad jails that we have in New York. And uh, Tyreek is uh, referring to this time that he was in prison uh, about two decades earlier. He, he high school graduated, uh, I think he was working on his associates and he was working airport security. He always felt like there was this kind of glass ceiling where he couldn't become more economically mobile uh, without going to college, which he couldn't afford. And so uh, one day one of his friends was able to convince him that they should pull off an armed robbery in, in New York City. And um, that, was the, that was the reason that he ended up going to jail and spending about six years at Rikers Island and Greenhaven Correctional. And it was in prison that um, basically an older gentleman uh, took him aside because he realized that he came from the same neighborhood as him, the same part of the Bronx. And Tyreek was hanging out with what you would call like not a great crowd in, in prison. And the detain the older man told him like, listen, I've seen you people go down this path and it never ends well. Um, what you should really think about doing is joining this youth mentorship program with me um, there are younger people here in here than you, and they really look up to you because you're close to age in them. And so the, the man kind of stayed persistent, and eventually Tyreek gave in, and he started showing up to this youth men mentoring classes. And he did see that all of these younger students were really, like, looking up to him. And so that made him decide that he wanted to get, get his college degree while in prison. So he started taking prison education classes, and he graduated two credits shy of a full full bachelor's degree. Um, and then he was able to get that. He got a master's degree, and, and now he's kind of this like he's a, he's a very prominent leading figure against against the issues that he faced himself. And so 
that that's what he's talking about is like the issues that that affected his life he's an expert in those contexts now how do we allow him to become an expert that um is contributing to society but also contributing to his family and his own life well that is what we have to think about when we're creating these social systems like how can we that little interaction that happened with him in prison, like if it can happen in prison, it can happen at an after school program, it can happen in a school, it can happen on the street, it can happen anywhere. We just have to take the responsibility to think that, you know, we are responsible for other people's lives, the lives of other people's children. I, I'm, I'm, I love, and I'm very, you know, I'm actually, I, I very much want to read your book because the thing that I'm, as you tell these stories, and I love that Hayden brought the stories in because it connects. You, what, what I see that you did was, you know, we see stories like this in movies, but what you actually did is show us that they aren't just these, you know, once in a, like, like these unique things, they're actually happening all the time for people and you're highlighting people that a lot of us might not ever hear about or know about. Um, Like these little, little interactions. And, you know, I keep saying like, sometimes it just takes one, like it just takes one positive comment from one person to another to really just have like someone see themselves in a newer positive light. Mm -hmm. Our time has like totally flown by today. You guys are it's so cool to be with you both. And I notice I'm like, man, this connection is so great. Like I'm loving just the human connection of being with two other people in the, in the world that we're in. I want to give you a moment. Is there anything you want to leave people with before we wrap up that you just, you know, a, a moment to soapbox on anything? Yeah. So I'll just say that like my, my book is, is um, it, it's basically broken into sections about uh, the home and family, what can be done in the home, then larger social settings like schools and after school programs. But the last section is all about the individual and what can be done on an individual level for someone to better their their life. And I think all of those things are connected and we have to think about the ways in which all of our social ecosystems interact with each other. And so the main premise in my thesis is that collective education, collective responsibilities in education are what will spark the achievement of more of our students. That's what's gonna get rid of the achievement gap. That's what's gonna help the students who, who need it the most. But if we can do that work, I'm pretty sure we're, we're looking at a better, more positive future. Um, one where it wouldn't take, you know, who knows how long to come up with a vaccine uh, for this thing that we're all going through right now. It's so, like the best way to tackle all of our future problems is to create a better educated uh, citizenry. And so I think that's something that if we all care about, just even in any basic level, um, we're only helping ourselves in the end. The book is The Power of Student Agency. It'll be out the summer, this summer, 2020. And India, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing your, your wisdom. Um, I want people to go check out your TED Talks. So there's two of them. And I want to, I'm going to spell out your website because the, you know, it'll be a lot easier. Uh, So it's www.anindyakundu.com. And from there, that's where you have access to see everything that you're up to. Thanks for being with us here today. Thanks for doing the work that you do. I think 
you know, it's making the difference and it can make a difference for so many. You opened up me and Hayden's eyes to stories and people mm-hmm. that we would not have known existed. Hayden, Hayden. Being here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. And also just during this time, we didn't even, I didn't even address that. You know, you could have easily, you know, not been here today with all that's going on, but thanks for showing yeah, I'll, up. I'll, say, I'll take the variety and then I'm, I'm going to go back <laughs> to the living room with, with my wife and we'll figure out <laughs> the plan for the day who gets what room. <laughs> But thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Hayden, thanks for being here co-hosting with me today. Um, I just want to remind people, you guys can find Hayden Humphrey at HaydenHumphrey.com. I'm going to spell that for you too. H-A-Y-D-E-N-H-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y. Absolutely. And Anindya, I just really want to acknowledge the the work that you're doing out in the world. I see um, creating an educational system that really supports people in creating what they want and realizing what they're capable of as one of the most important things that we're up to. And I just see your work as really fundamental and important to that. So thanks for being on loudspeaker about it. Thanks for being here with us today and talking more about it. Um, and just thanks for who you are out in the world. Hey, you guys too. I mean, we're all in this together and in the work you do too, you, you benefit people's lives. And so as long as we remember that, you know, we're all in this together, I think uh, that's all we can do and that's all we can hope for. Hayden, thanks for being here. Please go check out the Elevate podcast. You can find it on Accomplishment Media, on iTunes, on Spotify. I'm Alex Terranova. You can find me at thedreammason.com. You can check out my podcast, The Dream Mason Podcast, also on iTunes, Spotify. Please check out all the podcasts we have at Accomplishment Media at accomplishmentmedia.com. And stay safe. And that's all for this episode of The Coaching Show. See you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.